looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Francis. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every time, and this time was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 117 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to have you back for another winning episode. That's right. This episode is at the max of its winning. You might say it's winning time for Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show, because we've got Spencer Garrett here. From the HBO series Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, which is in mid-run right now on HBO. Every Sunday you can catch a new episode. It's a 10-episode run. Episode 5 is airing this Sunday. And we're talking with Spencer Garrett, who plays Chick Hearn, the legendary announcer for the Los Angeles Lakers. So if you're ready for a 20-foot layup, a dribble drive, a finger roll, a football score, I'll bet you an ice cream you're going to love this episode. You've also loved Spencer Garrett and Yes Man, Air Force One, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bombshell, Star Trek The Next Generation, Murder, She Wrote, The Front Runner, Iron Man 3. The list goes on and on and on. Believe me, it goes on and on and on. Spencer Garrett has been in everything. So put on your basketball shorts, grab your favorite basketball, and get ready to shoot some hoops with me and Spencer Garrett, because we're going deep into winning time. And of course, as always, a bunch of other great stories from Spencer Garrett throughout his career as well. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. I know what you're thinking to yourself. You're like, Jeff, do my ears deceive me? Is it Thursday and we're getting another interview episode from live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show? Put your ears up close. And let me say, no, your ears are not deceiving you. I realized I had so many interviews recorded that I wanted to share them more frequently with you. There'll still be special episodes of Crossing the Streams coming to you on Thursdays as well. But I'm going to mix it up every now and then, throw an extra interview in here and there, see how it goes. Tweet at me at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter. Let me know what you think. I think you're going to love it. I do know, based on the feedback, everyone loved my trilogy of Happy Days episodes, Marion Ross, Anson Williams, and Don Most, Mrs. C, Potsy, and Ralph Mouth, all making their way to live from Detroit, the Jeff Jawaskin Show. What an honor it was to talk to them, and even more so to share it with you. I do want to do a quick shout out to my friend and podcaster, Brett Allen. Check out his show. He's got a great interview show, The Brett Allen Show wherever podcasts are found. He introduced me to Spencer, so thank you very much, sir. As I started watching Winning Time to prep for my interview with Spencer, all my friends know I'm not the sports guy. I'm not a sports guy, but I fell in love with this show. I really did. It's a great show that just happens to be about sports, building the Lakers dynasty, but I got sucked in hook, line, and sinker. It's shot so amazingly well, and the story is so great. Plus, it doesn't hurt that a lot of the story is around Magic Irving Johnson, Michigan's own, who left Michigan to save the Lakers. At least that's how I understood it. I'm not very good at the sports. You're going to love my conversation with Spencer. You're going to love watching Winning Time if you're not already watching it. Definitely jump in. 
Also jump in and join us every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time for Crossing the Streams. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Plus, there's 17 bonus Crossing the Streams episodes right here in this podcast feed and over 60 hours of Crossing the Streams streaming on YouTube. So check that out. Head over to jeffisfunny.com, home of Live from Detroit on the web. But in the meantime, I do want to thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. Today's interview sponsor, the Regency Bruin Theater. Located near UCLA, the corner of Broxton and Weyburn in Westwood. The Regency Bruin Theater has been bringing you the best in cinema since 1937. The Bruin specializes in bringing in classics to the big screen so you can see the classics the way they were meant to be seen. All this month, we'll be featuring The Wrecking Crew, the 1969 classic starring Dean Martin. Get your tickets online or the old-fashioned way by walking up right to the booth. Join the Bruins mailing list and never miss a classic on the big screen. All right, well, that sounds amazing. Nothing like watching one of those old-time movies on the big screen. I remember catching the Wizard of Oz on the big screen at our Fox Theater we have in Detroit. That was quite the special moment. Well, speaking of special moments, I think it's time I shared my conversation that I had with Spencer Garrett with you. Star of Winning Time on HBO. And so much more. Enjoy. All right, my next guest has over 100 million IMDb credits. You've seen him on the West Wing, Insecure, Bombshell, Yes Man, Madman. I could go on and on and on. He's currently starring in HBO's Winning Time as legendary Lakers broadcaster Chick Hearn. Welcome to the show, Spencer Garrett. Good morning from L.A. Good afternoon to Detroit. Hi, everybody. Good to be with you, brother. Good to have you with us. 100 million credits. I suddenly feel 100 million years old. I rounded it up. <laughs> nice. From, but nice. you do well have done. over 200 pushing 250. I mean, it's like, that's a lot. That's a lot of credits. Yeah. Do you feel fortunate? I mean, like, you're like, gotta be one of the hardest working guys in Hollywood. It feels like that sometimes. I mean, the last couple of years during the pandemic have been obviously very strange for all of us, but we lucked out after getting shut down for a year. We shot this pilot for Winning Time in the fall of 2019, thought we were going into production in April 2020, and then, you know, pandemic reared its ugly head, and we shut down for an entire year. I managed to stay busy pretty pretty much during 2020 doing other stuff, doing Goliath and uh, heels down in Atlanta. I got lucky. I got some some really choice gigs in the midst of all of this. And I kind of learned early on how to work during the pandemic because we were all getting tested and we were wearing face shields and all of that. And we would rip them off right before we were about to do a take. And so by the time we got up and running on winning time in the spring of 2021, working, uh, getting tested every day, working that way sort of became second nature. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild time, but I've been uh, knock wood. I've been very lucky that I've been staying busy during all of this and and in the years prior. I have a question. So you did the pilot in 2019, and then you picked it up in 2021. What did they tell you? They're like, all right, Spencer. And I, I don't mean just you, but everyone. You can't gain weight. You can't change your hair. You know what I mean? Like because episode one and episode two, you know, take place right after each other, right? So right, right. you know, so, <laughs> but they were filmed years apart. So in that sense, so they have to kind of 
you know, I know like when they do stuff in films, they make sure you're wearing the same shirt and the same buttons, you know, but like all of a sudden it's like, wow, chick looks different in the second episode. That's a great question. I mean, the attention to detail in this thing is like nothing I've ever experienced other than working with Michael Mann on a couple of his things over the years. I mean, he is incredibly meticulous about the knot on your tie and all of, you know, things like that. So they really paid great, great attention when we moved from the pilot to the first episode. You don't really see Chick that much in the pilot. He's not really introduced or established other than seeing him briefly in a couple of little pops throughout the pilot episode. But to the discerning eye, if you look at the first episode and the second episode, if you look really closely, you'll notice that Chick Hearn's kind of beaky nose was a little bit different in the pilot episode to the first episode or to episode two. Uh, We had a different hair and makeup crew on the pilot. They changed crews. And so they made his nose better. They made his hair better. They did. I was in prosthetic makeup for two hours every morning. So there was a little bit of a difference in how I looked between the pilot and the uh, and the second episode. But because I'm you don't really see Chick that much it's really, it's kind of hard to tell, but I mean, everybody, everybody that was in the pilot, obviously Quincy who plays magic trained his ass off and he had to be in the same kind of shape two years later. Uh, so did Jason Clark who played Jerry West because he had to do basketball training in order to play Jerry. So yeah, we all had to be in the same physical condition and have pretty much the same size and weight and all of that as we did in the pilot in 2019. But for me, it was really about reestablishing the look that they established in the pilot and making it better. And I think they did that incredibly well. I mean, the, the uh, it was an, an amazing woman named Jamie, Jamie Hess who created the look for Chick Hearns. I mean, I wanted to look as much like him as I could. And the prosthetic work they did was just amazing. I don't look anything like Chick in real life, but when you see Chick really for the first time in episode three, it's kind of uncanny. I, it kind of freaked me out a little bit when I saw him, I was doing looping and I saw really the the extent of the prosthetic work, really seeing it on screen for the first time was jarring and kind of thrilling at the same time. That is really cool. Just to st- take a step back, we're talking about winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty, which is on HBO. I'm actually really excited to be talking to you, Spencer, on a different level as well. It's rare that Actually, I think you're the first person I'm talking to where we're talking about a show that's actually happening right now. (laughs) Right, right. So that's pretty awesome. I love episode one and two because, you know, Magic Johnson is a Michigan native. Sure. And so is Quincy Isaiah. Quincy is actually from Lansing. There you go. So it's a great story. It's a great Hollywood story. It's a great story for Quincy as well because he's a a kid that really came from out of nowhere and he just shines so brightly in the show. He's really, he's really extraordinary. He captures magic in his, the smile and the essence and the swagger and all of it. This dude, Quincy Isaiah just brings it so hard. And for those who haven't caught up yet watching him. And then when you get to the later episodes, when the Lakers start playing the basketball games, I mean, he's got the basketball chops as well. It's really, uh, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. In Michigan, we call it winning time, how Lansing saved the Lakers. Sure, sure. <laughs> Absolutely appropriate. You mentioned the uh, how, how much time you spent in makeup. I as watching the show, Michael Chiklis is almost unrecognizable <laughs> as well. How great is he? Oh my god, incredible! And I love John C. Riley, and he's he's so hilarious as well. National treasure. So interestingly enough, as I was, I'm a big Adam McKay fan and Will Ferrell yeah. fan. And interestingly enough, as I was kind of researching, this is the project that kind of broke them up uh rumor has it yeah yeah the rumor has it is that will 
Farrell really wanted to be Jerry Buss, John C. Riley's part, and that uh, Adam McKay had promised it to him and then gave it to John C. Riley, who I think is brilliant in it and probably the right choice. But that kind of crushed their relationship. I don't want to get I don't want to get into the weeds with that <laughs> with that scuttlebutt, but I I don't believe that it was promised to Farrell, from what I understand. I think I think Will wanted it. The original casting was actually Michael Shannon. And if you know who Michael Shannon is and what he looks like, it would have brought a totally different vibe to the show. And then for whatever reason, Michael didn't work out. And I think then Will uh Will Will had I apparently always wanted the job, but I don't know that it was promised to him. Yeah, it's unfortunate I've had how that all shook out. I do hope that uh, because it's been such a great association with Will and, and Adam for years, and obviously they created Funnier Die together and such a great working relationship and a great partnership with John C. as well. So I, I hope I do hope that uh, I hope that Adam and Will can smoke the peace pipe at some point down the road. Me too. Uh, they're both they're both geniuses. I agree. I agree. Yeah, Michael Shannon, that would have been an interesting one. He he's yeah. a very versatile actor. He was in Superman. He was um Zod. He was uh, he was Zod in Superman. I mean, he's been in a million things, Oscar nominated a yeah. couple of times. But yeah, I could uh, see where that would be a lot different than having John C. Riley. Yeah, just to, I mean, he brings a kind of a slightly menacing vibe to a lot of his roles. He's not he's not a kind of a warm and fuzzy type, at least from what I've seen in his screen roles. But damn, he's a he's a hell of a good actor. It didn't work out for whatever reason, but sometimes the stars align. And I think John C., I think they were a week away from filming. And so John C. needed to jump into jump into the role within a week's time. And so it all went down rather quickly. And I can't personally think of anybody better suited to play Jerry Buss than John C. I mean, he just he's just so for a guy who for a guy like Jerry Buss, who was a womanizer and a drinker and all of his all of his swagger and braggadocio and bluster and all of that. John brings such a, a sweetness and a lovability and a just kind of a, a, a warmth to Jerry Buss that you just instantly like him, no matter how he is. And uh, that's the mark of a great actor. I mean, John is just one of our best. And it's, I mean, you talk about a million credits. The guy's been in a million movies. I've been, I've known John for 30 plus years and uh, as a friend and a fan and watching him on the show is just a delight. Yeah, he's incredible. And working with Adam McKay, I assume also delight. I love Vice, Anchorman that you mentioned. Like he's got a real awesome style the way he creates. Don't look up. Don't look up, right? He's really kind of he started out in Chicago improv and then obviously went on to write for SNL and then became the the director and auteur that he is. I love the the most recent films. I love Don't Look Up. He just kind of gets better and better and better and a hell of a lot of fun to work for. He I only met him really. We directed uh, he directed the pilot episode 2 years ago and I, which I was only on for about 3 or 4 days. What it was just a just a thrill. And of course, Succession, which he produces is my I mean that's my jam. I I'm just One of my favorite shows. Mad for that show. I'm just crazy about Succession. Can't wait for season four. Love that show. Love it. Yeah. So great. Every single human being on it is horrible. And yet somehow you find yourself rooting for one or the other at any given time. It's really, it's amazing. I mean, the writing is just so delicious. Oh, amazingly obsessed with that. I love Don't Look Up as well. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see when they pitched Meryl Streep. All right. And this is what happens to you at the very, very end. I would just yeah. love to have been there. I mean, nobody nobody can make a comedy about the end of the world and lace it with such really, really pointed social commentary and commentary about our culture and how obsessed we are with celebrity and the bullshittery of 
of uh, technology and, and what that's done to our culture. So he does it in a very lighthearted way and uh, and makes you think. I mean, I, I heard the story of how he he was sort of pitched the idea of making this movie about he wanted to make a film about climate change because he's very he's very activist about the climate crisis. It is the number one issue of our time right now. And uh, somebody came up with the idea of, oh, why don't we make it a comet? And that was it. And he sort of took it and ran with it. So it's uh, it's brilliant. I've watched it three times. I'm an Academy voter. I vote for the Oscars, which is a lot of fun. So I got to watch I got to watch it again the other night. The score and the just the performances, all of it is just a, a hell of a lot of fun. And then we got to work with Jonah Hill in episode two. Jonah directed the episode. Oh, that was and that was a great one. Yeah, you uh, you were making drinks in that one. Making drinks and making slightly racist commentary about some of the Lakers players which apparently Chick Hearn had kind of been known to do, not from the floor while he was calling the games, but he did he did make a couple of uh, racial blunders over the years. He was a complicated guy, but a, a fascinating guy to play. So is there a, a whole balance of your performance in Winning Time that is going to be actually where we see you, and then a lot of it in the future episodes, I can imagine, because it's uh, this, the basketball commentary where your voiceover you're going to see Chick. You're, he's really sort of introduced properly. In episode three. Uh, Adrian Brody, who plays Pat Riley brilliantly. A lot of people don't know that after winning the championship in 72 with the Lakers, I guess Riley was sort of drifting around and not really knowing what he wanted to do with his life after basketball. So he comes to the forum and comes kind of hat in hand to Chick Hearn's office asking for a job. Chick Hearn was also a GM of the Lakers. He was He was in the front office and instrumental in the drafting of the players. And he was part of the boardroom conversations. Pat Riley comes to him and says, hey, man, I need a job. And Chick says, terrific. Why don't you go pick up my dry cleaning? And maybe I'll give you a shot at being my side man at the table, calling the games. And so eventually, Pat Riley becomes Chick Hearn's side man, his color man, for several games before he finally graduates to becoming assistant coach under Paul Westhead. It's a great performance by... Brody, and you'll see a great kind of transformation because you the first time you see him, he's kind of shaggy haired with a bushy mustache. And eventually over time, you see the hair gets slicked back and he turns into the Pat Riley that we know as the guy on the court with the Armani suits. But Chick is really introduced uh, and established kind of properly for the first time tomorrow night. And then, of course, once we get into the basketball games, you see a lot of me calling the games and all of the Chickisms and all of the things that people know. If you're, uh, I mean, Chick's been gone from us for 20 years. If you're under 50, I guess, I, I don't know. A lot of people don't know who Chick Hearn was in the younger generation, but I mean, he was an icon and in the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's an honor to play him. And and hopefully uh, I, I, I bring him to life in my way. So it, it kind of honors his memory. I assume you worked very hard to get the voice. I did. I worked very hard to get the voice. I had a couple of weeks after I found out that I'd gotten the pilot episode. I went online, I went on YouTube, and I just watched countless hours of Chick Hearn interviewing Laker players, interviewing Larry Bird, calling the games. And I got to a point after about a week or so, I was so familiar with the players and I'd gotten that voice and the cadence and the essence of what his voice sounded like. So I would turn the volume down on my TV and I would just call the games as Chick Hearn. So that was kind of the most important element of him to me is I wanted to get that voice proper. And then everything else fell into place. Obviously the makeup and the clothes and all of that makes it up, makes up the the totality of what I brought to Chick. But getting that voice right was my job number one. 
the whole cast must have just had a hoot just in the the dress, the everything you were wearing. It's yeah. just with winning time, it seems like there's a at least right right now, there's like a whole run of miniseries type shows based yeah. on reality. You were dope sick, which I know you were in an episode of Dope Sick. I was in it, I did an episode of Dope Sick. All credit to the great Danny Strong. Uh, I did an episode of Dope Sick, but unfortunately, I had a scene with Michael Stuhlbarg, who is an incredible actor and somebody I've had a bit of an actor crush on for a long time. I did I did a scene with with Stuhlbarg that actually didn't actually make it to the final cut. So uh, I was cast. I did I did the episode, but uh, it never made it to the screen. So happy to say that I was part of it, but ultimately not in the final cut, as has happened to many actors over the years i've gotten snipped out of a couple of things but well uh the official spencer and jeff recommendation is skip dope sick (laughs) watch dope sick no it's great watch dope sick for michael keaton's extraordinary performance and caitlin deaver and everybody else in it uh it's an amazing project it's just an incredible piece of work and and michael is is particularly uh great in it so definitely watch dope sick even though if i'm not in it I'll come come to my house and I'll reenact the scene for you in person. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. But there's a dropout inventing Anna, Pam and Tommy. There's just so many shows yeah. lately. Yeah. Um, you're yeah. not in those either. But the uh, <laughs> but just in, in keeping with the theme of the, uh, the those type of shows, it's just like reality, not reality TV, recreated reality TV. And really, really well done. Like every one of those you've mentioned so far, super pumped. Uh, another one. I've been watching all of them and they're all really, really bloody good. I mean, we are, we're just, we're just in a great golden age of television in the last, in the last several years. I mean, it's the quality of work that's being done on, on the streamers is just really, really amazing to watch. So it's a cool thing to be a part of. I agree. It, it must be great to be an actor in a time where it is okay to do TV and movies. Cause yeah. like, right. Cause it, at one point that wasn't the case, right? If you were a movie star, TV was. If you're a movie star, you're a movie star. Uh, that's true. I think it kind of started in a way you had. I remember when Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne did CSI after William Peterson left and he did it for a couple of seasons. And that was a big that was a big deal. Uh, it was a little bit of a sea change. You started to see guys who were primarily known for their film work jump in and do television Fishburne. I did a, a series that nine people saw called Luck uh, for Michael Mann about horse racing with Dustin Hoffman. Oh, I remember that. Doing a TV series with Dustin Hoffman was wild because, I mean, this guy is a movie star of movie stars forever and ever. And so to see him do an HBO series, not only just for Michael Mann and David Milch, but just to be able to work with Dustin every day on a show like that. And I just remember thinking, wow, something's shifting here in the in the landscape of television. And then eventually you started to see it more and more, but it kind of, I feel like it kind of started with those, with those guys. And then, I mean, Dustin really kind of opened the floodgates and then you saw more and more what were considered movie actors. Cause there's always been a bit of a cast system in Hollywood. There were film actors and there were TV actors and never the twain met. Now it's anything goes. It's just get the, get the best actor for the project. You know, I remember lucky. I remember watching it. It was I mean, now that you mentioned it, it's fine. That was a good show. I was, I was, uh, was upset well, there was Lucky. There was a show called no, Lucky. Well, no, the one you're talking about with doesn't. Well, I was. I, yeah. I was. I was actually on a show called Lucky too. Okay. There was a show called <laughs> Lucky about gambling, and then Luck about horse racing. So one one of my million credits. How do you keep it all straight? I don't know. I don't know. Drugs. <laughs> oh man. So all right, I have another show that I'd like to talk about. You yeah. were on Star Trek: The Next Generation. I was. 
And so the interesting thing about this also, I read, as part of your kind of getting to know the Star Trek universe, your godfather, Liam Sullivan, yeah, is on wow. the original Star Trek. Yes. And so that must have been a hoot. He was on Plato's Children, that episode of the original series. Plato's Stepchildren. I can't remember the title, the name of the character he played. People always remind me. Trek Trek fans always remind me of what the, the guy's name was. My godfather was an actor named Liam Sullivan. He was on the original series. When I got cast in Next Generation in 91 or 92, something like that, one of my very first jobs on television ever, and I was not a Star Trek fan. I wasn't not a Star Trek fan. I just was not that familiar with the show and really how popular it was. And I knew that my godfather had been on it, and he gave me a VHS copy of his episode. And I watched it, and I you know, popped it into the VCR, and damn, this is really, really good. He played the character that's moving Shatner and... Michael Dunn, the uh, the dwarf actor, they're moving around on a chessboard. Brilliant episode. And then, of course, I became hooked with the original series and went back and watched all of them. And I, I think I've seen, I've since become a hardcore Trek fan because I've watched all of the original series, all of, I did Voyager several years later as a different character. So uh, a, a very cool thing to be a part of, for sure. I, I watched the episode yesterday because I was, as I was reading the synopsis. Oh my I God, was like, I was like 12. Yeah. Right, right, right. A young Spencer. The, yes. uh, <laughs> younger. Younger, right. It was, it was a very interesting episode. It's, it's considered like one that is um, a well-liked episode of the, the next generation. Definitely. The interesting thing that I read about it is it's considered a bottle episode. I didn't know that phrase until uh, where they're kind of doing a low budge, like less special effects, less sets, that kind of thing to kind of get it through. All in one on, on one or two sets, I think, if I recall, Jonathan Frakes, who played Riker, directed the episode. I think it was one of his earlier directing efforts. Uh, he was just starting out as a director, too, in addition to being on the show. And yeah, bottle episode means you shoot the entire the entire show inside the inside the soundstage. You don't go out onto locations or uh, anything like that. And so we shot most of my stuff in the uh, what they called. Um, well, it, we were shot it in um, in Picard's Picard's quarters. Uh, and then in the courtroom, when I get tried for trying to blow up the ship, it's funny. Somebody, I was in the market the other day, and somebody recognized me and said, "Were you, were you Simon Tarsus?" And I get that more than anything else out of all of the things I've done, and it's such a compliment because I guess it's, it's still, it has a, a lasting impression. It's a really well written episode too, and it was kind of a, kind of a metaphor for the the AIDS epidemic in a way, which was still kind of raging uh, in the world at the time. And they, they made it, they did a very savvy bit of writing where, you know, I was put on trial for having kind of different blood. And that was the, that was sort of the, the metaphor for the AIDS epidemic, which was going on at the time and brilliant show, brilliant show. It was really interesting because rewatching it now, if I, if you, if that were to air today, you, you would almost say like, oh, this was based on people's perception of immigrants or, you know, yep. anything like that. It was like, yep. that's when science fiction, I think, is like at its best when it, it taps into something because yes. the feeling about how people felt with people with AIDS and like, and then even just like, if you go back to the, you know, Salem witches or any Macar you know, McCarthyism, you're a communist, you know, that kind of thing where you start to create these conspiracies about people just based on your perceptions, not nothing in reality, just hate as a driver of guilt. And it's like, yeah, it was just, it, it was so good. It was just, you know, they, when something like that can stand up, like you said, was, it was like 30 years ago. But you're right. No, you're right. It could absolutely apply to any of that, to, to the anti-immigrant sentiment in the country and the anti-other 
the anti-other sentiment that's been running in through this country for the last several years now, which has been chilling. I mean, you could it 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 really is applicable to a lot of stories that deal with discrimination and demonizing uh, other people. So that's why it does hold up so well. I think it's a great point. The episode name is the Drumhead. If anyone wants to, for anyone wanting to jump in on uh, Paramount Plus, it's in season four. Yeah. I guess Drumhead is a reference to how they would do the justice in like those olden days where they'd have a drum head and they'd kind of hit it. Uh, Patrick Stewart yeah, explains it much better than, than I could, right? In yeah. the episode. <laughs> how was it working with him? You had a lot of scenes with him. I did. And I, I was, uh, I was kind of in awe. I was, I was young and very green. I hadn't done a hell of a lot of television up to that point. So I was er early on when I was a kid, there was a thing on PBS uh, a television show called Acting Shakespeare with a guy named John Barton. And he used to have on people like Judy Dench and Patrick Stewart, uh, Helen Mirren, great British Shakespearean actors. And it was basically a Shakespeare class. And it would, you know, and they, and they would, the actors would do scenes and sonnets and passages from different Shakespeare plays. And I remember seeing Patrick Stewart as a kid, late 70s, early 80s, I believe it was. And that incredible voice, that deep, resonant voice that he had. And I think he had a pretty fuller head of hair back then, too. And so I was kind of in awe of him then, being a big Shakespeare guy anyway. And so when I finally got to work with Sir Patrick Stewart, it was intimidating. It actually informed the way I played the character because I was so terrified of what was going to happen to me in, in the trial. So the scene that I have with Patrick, if I looked nervous, I was nervous because I was I was nervous as an actor, and I was also nervous around being around Patrick Stewart, who made me feel he could not have made me feel more welcome and and more like a veteran, like I'd been doing it forever anyway. He was so gracious. But in that scene, I was genuinely intimidated and just being in, in the presence of somebody so formidable that it really informed how I played Simon Tarsus. That sounds really actory. I'm sorry, but it's uh, that's how it works. <laughs> I'm waiting for acting. Yeah, acting. <laughs> We get Jet. Wait, where's John Lovitz? <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen the episode, Spencer is a Romulan passing him off as a Vulcan. So I mentioned that because he is wearing the ears, which leads me to my next question. Did you get to save those ears? <laughs> what? Still, I saved them. I have them in a box. They. This is now 30 years or something. Um, they let me keep one pair of ears because I was on the show for two weeks. So every day was a fresh pair of ears that they would glue, you know, and, and incorporate into my own ears. So I did get to walk away with a pair of ears. They're now kind of like crumbly little pieces of rubber. They look like deteriorating erasers at this point, but I do have them in a little case. It's sometime, uh, if things get really, really rough, I will put them up on eBay. You could, pro you could probably <laughs> make a lot of money. <laughs> I, br I bring them to, I've done a couple of the Star Trek conventions in Las Vegas and I bring them with me. I, it just, people get a kick out of it. I open up the little box and my little, my little, my crusty little rubber ears are in this little box and people ooh and ah. Yeah, that's, I kept that and I actually kept a couple of the badges, uh, the communicator badge off of my, uh, off of my uniform. So I've got several of those. So, I mean, I did, and I also did Voyager as well a couple of years ago. So a couple of years later, so I got to keep a couple of things from that as well. In I think I played a hologram in that one and I didn't have any real, I looked like me for the most part. So, but I did, I got to keep my uniform. Don't tell anybody, but it's, it's in my closet behind me. It sounds like you're all set if, if this acting thing ever doesn't work out. <laughs> You could just, or, or I could be, I, I could be a professional thief because I keep stealing <laughs> things from my sets. But you've stolen the right things. You've <laughs> stolen the right things. Yeah. 
Well, on the right things, I've also, I've also, I, you know, I've learned early on. You make friends with the costume designer, so when the gig is over, you, you you'd say, "What's going to happen to that hat when this is all over?" And sometimes they'll say, "What hat?" And you put the hat in the bag and you slip out, you know, nice out of your trailer. Nice, nice, nice. I've got a, I've got a lot of hats. Your your audience can't see this, but you can see. Oh yeah, a, a fraction of my rather extensive hat collection. All right, so. so the I think the lesson here is if Spencer Garrett is on your set, hide the valuables. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. You can't see my ears because I'm wearing headphones. I have big ears. If I was on Star Trek, they'd probably be like, oh, you can be a Vulcan. We don't even have to put anything on your ear. Do you have, do you have Romulan ears pointy, glued on? Just, yeah, I just have big ears. You know, it's just, it's just a thing. You can play Prince Charles one day. <laughs> So, all right. So that's cool. All right. So you do the, you do the conventions. All right. So that's Star Trek. That's the Star Trek portion of the show. MCU. It says uncredited, but you were in Captain America, the first Avenger and Iron Man three. Can confirm. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Captain America was just a voiceover. I did a, I did a several voices for Captain America. I did like a, um, a movie new, like a 1940s newsreel guy. Uh, You know, the guys that talk like this, you know, Captain America flying across the land. I mean, I did some of that stuff. And so that made it into the picture. I wasn't actually in the movie, but I did that. It's interesting that ended up on IMDb. I'll take that credit. Iron Man 3. Yeah, I was actually was originally cast as the president. Great, big, fat, juicy role. And about a week before we were supposed to start filming, some of the suits at Marvel decided that I looked too young to be the president. And I mean, I was bags were packed and ready to go off to Wilmington and start shooting. And they changed their mind because they felt like I looked too baby faced. And so they did a recast, which was a bummer. And Shane Black, who's the director uh, and and an old pal, he said, come to Wilmington. We're going to we're going to find something for you to do anyway. And I ended up having that very cool scene with Stephanie Shostak in the bar where she puts her hand through my chest and grabs the gun of the sheriff and shoots me and all of that. So I was there for two months in Wilmington, worked one or two days that ended up in the film. So I was happy about that because uh, the residuals are lovely and it's a very memorable scene. So it would have been fun to be the president, but maybe sometime down the road. I've still I've played so many senators and congressmen and governmental pricks in suits over the years. I have yet to play the president. So I'm still waiting to get that role as president. That's something that I need. That's a feather in my cap that I need to get at some point. All right. Well, I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I hope so. If they just use your voice, is that like a different, I don't know how to even ask this question. Like if you're on screen and don't have a, don't have a line or you're on screen and have a line, or it's just your voice but no physical appearance. Like, is that like a different level of pay? And I'm not asking what you got paid, but like, you know, is it, does it matter? Is it a different level of pay? I, yes, it's a different level of pay. I was actually in, I think when Captain America was being filmed or post-production, I was in Baltimore doing, I was in Baltimore doing House of Cards, the Netflix show House of Cards. And I got a call and they said, hey, they, you know, I, I do a lot of those voices and I did a lot of it in Public Enemies as well. And so they said, we know you do this kind of 1930s, 1940s newsreel, old timey voice. We do it for Captain America. And I had not done, I hadn't done Iron Man 3 at that point, I don't think yet. So they, they negotiate a certain price for you because I don't get paid as much as I would be on camera, but there's a certain rate for voice actors. And that's been another kind of a side gig for me for for a long time doing doing commercials and trailers and promos and things like that. So I love doing stuff like that. So I, I was I was happy to be a part of it. I mean, 
I went, uh, the, the movie was on a couple of months ago and I was sort of flipping around and I went, oh, and like literally within moments of my turning on the TV, I heard my voice. And of course, being an insecure actor, I thought, God, I could have done that better. <laughs> Which, what did you hear? I hear, I hear certain inflections and I wish I had hit certain notes differently, but that that's, but I do, I do that with every damn thing I'm on. I mean, I, if I, I tend to try to not watch stuff that I'm in. Cause if I do, I will end up disappointing myself. I've been watching winning time because I'm fascinated by the, the makeup transformation. And I want to see how that plays on screen. So, and I'm also just like a fan of the show and I love the show and seeing how everybody is transformed, seeing how John C uh, and Adrian. And I mean, where do you see Sally field in this thing too? Oh, I saw her. She uh, was amazing. She's incredible. Wait, but, but there's her storyline down the line and uh, she's just, she's just amazing. I wish I'd had some scenes with her. I got to spend some time chatting with her in the makeup trailer. And, you know, you just like as an actor, you just pinch yourself every day showing up to work and you go, oh my God, there's Sally Field. It was really, it was a, a, an embarrassment of riches in terms of the the quality of actors on this show. And so, and it, and it, it definitely shows up on the screen. Was another pinch yourself moment uh, getting the call from Quentin Tarantino to be in Once Upon a Time yes. in Hollywood? Yes. Yeah. Definitely a pinch yourself moment. That was a, a, an audition that I felt like I walked out of the room and I thought, God damn, that went really well. This would really be such a sweet gig. It was just the one scene. I, I, I didn't I didn't know where because I wasn't allowed to read the script because it's Quentin. So I didn't know where in the context of the movie that scene fit in. But I just knew, I didn't know that it was the opening scene of the movie, but I thought, wow, that would be really a lot of fun. I knew it was going to be with Brad and Leo. And I didn't hear anything for six months. And I thought, well, that's gone away. And that didn't happen. And I called my manager one day and I said, can you, can you just check with the casting director and see if we're still in the, in the running for that, for that film? And he called me and he called me back an hour later. He said, I called Victoria Thomas, who's the great casting director who does all of Quentin's films. He said, yeah, I just called her. He said, as a matter of fact, I think you're going to get it. And I think the offer is coming in today. And I think you have a fitting tomorrow. Like it all, after six months of not hearing anything, all of a sudden I found out that I was not only going to be getting the offer that day, but my fitting was the next morning or the day after. And then a couple of months after that, I was, I was on set. So things like that fall into your lap in a weird sort of way. That was a total thrill. And then showing up on set, I didn't audition for Quentin. I put myself on tape with Victoria, the casting director. And then when I showed up on set and met Quentin for the first time, he knew everything about me. He knew everything seemingly that I'd ever done or been in. It was wild. He knew who my mom was. My mom's an actor. She was on an old series called The Real McCoys and president of the Screen Actors Guild. He knew everything about me. So it was uh, walking onto the set. He's a, walk he's a walking encyclopedia of pop culture knowledge, as I'm sure we all know by now. So that was really kind of thrilling. And then to see the final product at the premiere and see that the movie, that the scene was the opening, the opening of the film was pretty effing thrilling. Kathleen Nolan. See, I know everything about you too. There you go. You do. <laughs> you know everything about me. Awesome. Yeah. I dug in. I know you got, you're a third generation actor. It's pretty cool. So you probably, you grew up Very around cool. all this. So this was, in, this was going to be in your blood no matter what. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, if I had the sense God gave a donut when I was younger, I would have uh, gotten a real job. You know, it's it's a roller coaster road ride. As a you know, as an actor, you go up and down and up and down. I've been really lucky. I've been I've been very fortunate um, that I'm you know still in the ball game. And then you know, and then you get a gig like this, and it just it's just like you get invited to sit at the grown ups table, 
with people like this, with McKay and and John C. and this filmmaking team. It's like making a feature film. When we were shooting the thing over six months in the summer, it's literally like going to work every day on a feature film. It has that quality. It's not just, it's like, oh, we're making a little TV show. We're not doing Law and Order. This is like, we're making a movie every day. Each episode is a, you know, is an hour long feature film. That's what's cool to be a part of. That is awesome. So, all right. So it must've been really cool hanging with Brad and Leo. Do you mind if I call him Brad and Leo? Certainly can call him Brad and Leo. I, I do. Did you get to hang out with Margot Robbie? Cause you also did bombshell with her where you were Sean Hannity. We didn't, ha- we didn't get to hang out. I did. I did that. Both of those films in the same year. We didn't have any scenes together. I did see Margot on the set uh, one day. Jay Roach is somebody that I've worked for a few times who I adore. Um, Jay Roach, another guy who graduated from doing kind of silly comedies like McKay into more serious political fare. Uh, We did Game Change. He went from comedies to uh, recount about the about the Florida recount, you know, the, the hanging chads and all that. And then we did Game Change about 12 years ago, maybe a little bit earlier than that. I worked with Jay on Game Change, and I guess I was sort of in his mind when he was putting together the cast for for Bombshell, and he called me up and said, would you like to play Sean Hannity? And I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? That would be delicious. That was a trip to get it to get into that guy's head. But yeah, Margot, I met Margot on Bombshell. And then again, on uh, in the makeup trailer, we spent I spent a lot of time in makeup trailers. Um, so I, I met Margot, Brad and Leo. The best thing about being being with Brad and Leo on the set of once upon a time, I have to say was uh, at one point when we were we right before we we're about to roll, Brad Pitt said to me, he said, I know I, I've seen you in a million things. I said, yeah, my tombstone is going to say, here lies that guy from that thing. He said, I've seen you in a million things. Have we ever worked together before? And I said, well, you don't remember this, but you and I were on the last three episodes of Dallas together, the TV show Dallas in the late, you know, in the in the 80s. He's like, oh my God, that's right. We did. We never had any scenes together, but he was like a 19, 20 year old kid fresh off the bus from Missouri. And it was one of my first things as well. And DiCaprio turned to him and he said, you were on Dallas? And Brad said, yeah. And DiCaprio was like, I did a Falcon Crest. I did a Dynasty. I did, And all of a sudden I'm talking to the two biggest movie stars in the world. And they're talking about how they made their bones doing guest shots on you know, on episodic television when they first started out, like we all did. So it put me at ease and made me feel comfortable. Like, oh, you can be the biggest movie star in the world, but we all have to start out somewhere and we all put our pants on one leg at a time. And we, you know, we all had to do an episode of Matlock at some point or other. Or Murder, She Wrote. Or Murder, She Wrote. Two times. Thank you. You're welcome. So you also, with Jay Roach, did All the Way uh, with Elvis yes. Johnson uh, and Brian Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston. Yeah. So in that, you played Walter Philip Ruther. So you played a few. I, I, I mean, just a, I mean, besides Chick that we've talked a lot about and Sean Hannity and the, the uh, Walter, you've played a lot of real people. Do you, do you ever feel a different pressure when you're playing a real person versus, you know, just a made up character for? It depends on, I mean, yeah, Walter Ruther, iconic head of the UAW. Not a lot of people know who he was, but I felt an obligation to to get him right, to get the the look and the, there wasn't a lot of film on him. So it was hard to do the research, but somebody like that, you want to kind of play him as him. I have a little bit more latitude with somebody like Chick Hearn when you're covered in prosthetics or, or Hannity, who I just regard as kind of a, a cartoon character, <laughs> kind of an evil one at that. But Joe McCarthy, the, the red baiting, you know, anti-communist from the 1950s. It's another guy like you have to leave your judgment outside the door when you play a lot of these guys. 
But then when you're playing somebody like when you're playing somebody like Ruther or somebody like uh, Bob Woodward in The Front Runner, I, I want to get them right. I want to get I want to get them as right as possible. Sometimes I, I play around a little bit and put my own spin on the ball with them. And sometimes uh, sometimes you play them as them as best you can. But with Chick, the, he's such a, a larger than life character. I had to I, I didn't want to just do a straight up impression. I wanted to bring my own, you know, bring my own stuff to the party. Very cool. And you did. You're awesome. I can't wait to see the Thank whole you. series play out. It's very, very enjoyable. Thank you. You're welcome. I did. I met Bob Woodward once. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I got it. I don't have a picture. I got his autograph on like the, he spoke at an event I was at. It was before like yeah. cameras, not before cameras, but you know, <laughs> like now you would, you would yeah. just have your, it's on your phone, but like, uh, yeah. So it, it was interesting. Anyways, you nailed it. Thank you. Very cool. This was awesome. I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. Thank you, man. This is a blast. I, I, could, I could, you know, I could talk forever. Get an actor to talk about themselves and you, you know, you'll never, you'll never get off the phone. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm excited to continue to watch Winning Time and see that play out and see more chick. This was great. I loved all your stories. Thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it very much. Anytime. I'll come back anytime and chat some more, maybe down the line when the show is you know, when you, when you get to see more chick in the, as in the announcer's booth, because the show just gets better and better and better. So you're going to dig it. So hopefully people are tuning in Sunday nights at nine o'clock Eastern on HBO. Sounds amazing. All right. Thank you so much. Cheers, brother. See you soon. All right. How amazing was Spencer Garrett? I told you, right? I hyped it, but it, it paid off. I think it paid off big time. If you're watching Winning Time right now, I know you've loved him as Chick Hearn. And if you haven't yet, jump in. You'll love him as Chick Hearn and his entire amazing cast that he works with on Winning Time. I know we discussed a bunch of them. Amazing. And I don't know about you, but I really want to see those ears, those Star Trek ears. I'm considering getting a star map of the home and uh, stalking Spencer. I'm kidding. I do not condone such behavior. Do not do that. Go to a Star Trek convention like a normal person. Well, with the interview over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at Hashtag Roundup. Follow us on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup. Grab the free, always free, doesn't cost a penny app at the Google Play Store or iTunes App Store. Download the app. Get notified every time a game starts. Tweet along with us, and one day one of your tweets may show up on an episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. This week's hashtag, of course, inspired by my conversation with Spencer Garrett, but more specifically inspired by Winning Time and the Lakers Dynasty. We have a hashtag from Wag Your Tags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. The hashtag, hashtag basketball, a movie or TV show. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the ultimate basketball movie or TV show mashup. You take basketball, you take a movie, you mash them together. You take basketball, you take a TV show, you mash them together. And what happens? Hilarity. Hilarity occurs. That's right. All right. So let's get ready for some hashtag basketball, a movie or TV show tweets. Larry Bird on a wire. Dances with Timberwolves. Honey, I dunk the kids. Men in backcourt. Gulliver's traveling. These are some amazing hashtag basketball a movie or TV show tweets. The ultimate basketball movie TV show mashup pun game. Young Sheldon Hooper. Star Trek. The trouble with dribbles. Free throw mama from the train. Half night court. Free throw Willie. Full court. Press your luck. 
Everybody shoves Raymond. There's something about Larry. And our final hashtag basketball, a movie or TV show tweet. He-Man can't jump. Oh, all right. As always, all these tweets are retweeted at Jeff Jawaskin Show on Twitter. I invite you to tweet your own hashtag basketball, movie, or TV show tweet. Tag me on Twitter. I'll show you some love. In the meantime, upon self-reflection, I realize the interview's over. Now the hashtag game's over. That can only mean one thing. Episode 117 has come to a close. Can't believe it. The time just flies, doesn't it? I want to thank my very special guest, Spencer Garrett. Check out his show, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, where he's rocking it as Chick Hearn every Sunday on HBO. I also want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show, and we'll see you next time.